Well, you may remember a few years ago there was a show uh, called uh, Don't Forget the Lyrics. And it was, uh, the host was Wayne Brady, who's a real funny guy who was actually from Orlando, I heard. And uh, part of what the deal was with the show is you could win up to a million dollars if you could, uh, uh, they would sing part of the song and play part of the song. And if you could fill in the blank on the lyrics, then, then you would go and you, each chance you'd get uh, a few more hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, and you could win up ultimately a million dollars if you could do the lyrics times. Now, this is not a show that I'm good at because I just don't know the lyrics, right? Uh, but I wanted to see if y'all uh, knew uh, the lyrics. So I'm going to do a little bit of a part of a song. And I'm also I'm going to do two things. Part of a song so that you can fill in the blank. And I'm also going to show you why I'm not in the choir. Okay. You guys sing this with me. You ain't nothing but a... There you go. Take me out to the... That's a good voice over there. I hear that one. Okay, this is a little tougher. Way down in Louisiana, close to... New Orleans, yeah? Johnny be good, okay. Yesterday... When my troubles seem so. And this one, I'm not sure if you get this or not. And she's buying a... Yeah, you all know these songs, huh? You know these songs. You've heard, you haven't forgotten the lyrics. Uh, you know, songs have a way of penetrating our hearts. They, they stick with us. I can, I can remember... Uh, Rap songs that I learned when I was in uh, a sophomore in high school. You know, I was in. I really like listening to gangster rap. I was a suburban uh, white kid listening to gangster rap, and I can remember these songs. You know, by Ice T in the hood in Altamont Springs, where I lived. Um, and I remember these words, these lyrics. They stick with you, don't they? I mean, you know songs from when you were little. There's, a, there's something about songs have have a, there's, there's something that they do they speak to our hearts they they move us they they cause us to reflect they cause us uh, to be cheered in different times they even make us think about things that we hadn't thought about I remember when I was little one of the songs that my dad uh, liked and I, if I were to go back and think about all the songs that my dad liked I don't remember any song that he liked but he always or he I remember him saying I like this song it's called Cats in the Cradle. Um, it goes, Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon, Little Boy Blue and the Man in the Moon. Um, and it's a song about a dad who uh, doesn't have time to spend with his son. His son was born, but there were planes to catch, and he couldn't be with him. And then he says, my son was, uh, was 10, and he wanted me to play, uh, play catch with him. And I couldn't, I didn't have time. You know, but you know we'll have a good time then, son. Yeah, we'll have a good time then. And then later in the song, the son comes back from college and the dad says, hey, let you sit down for a while. And the son says, well, you know, I'd love to, Dad, but can you give me the keys? I want to go and hang out. But, we'll, you know, we'll hang out together later. And then when the dad retires, then he, he wants to see his son. And his son says, you know, there's, there's bills to pay and the kid's got the flu. But, you know, we'll get together then, Dad. And the dad says, you know, my son was just like me. And it's this really powerful song, you know. I remember, I think, I wonder, why did my dad think about that? And I think it's probably because his dad didn't really spend a whole lot of time with him. And so that's why he spent so much time with me. He coached my teams and he came to my games. And I, you, you, a song just stirs your heart. And it makes you think about things that you hadn't ever really thought about. Well, the Psalms are the same way. The Psalms in the Bible, there's 150 Psalms. They are worship songs and they are prayer journals of the nation of Israel. They, they give us a window into the worshiping life 
of this ancient community, uh, the people of God that had been uh, encouraged and had journeyed through difficult struggles. Uh, they, they show us what, what they did when they gathered for worship. Some of the, the prayers that they offered. And yet they also speak to not only what was going on back then, but they speak to our own hearts. We're reminded of our own struggle. Uh, they give voice to our sorrow and to our lament. Uh, they move us to praise and adoration of the Father they teach us about the great Lord of the universe and the glorious King, the Messiah. They, they reveal to us who He is and what His character is like. You know, when we don't have the words to pray, they teach us how to petition the Father. When we need to be inspired, the Psalms point us toward the heavens. When we need to confess, the Psalms give us words uh, to pray. They, they name our brokenness and they call us to repentance. The Psalms teach us how to worship. They are our words to God in adoration and confession and thanksgiving and request. And yet they are God's word to us so that we can know Him as healer, as father, as comforter, as mighty God. We, we use them to respond to His power holiness, mercy, and love. And yet we also hear Him speaking to us about His character, about His goodness, and about His kindness and grace. And so the Psalms essentially give us words to have a conversation with God. Uh, they give voice to the things that sometimes we can't even say or think or speak. And so with that, this as we continue on in our journey through and around the Old Testament all of 2013, this summer we're going to spend some time singing the Psalms of Faith, be considering these, these prayers, these poems, these offerings that have been made. And so what better place to start than in Psalm 1 uh, at the beginning of the book. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father, we ask your blessing upon this reading and hearing of your word, that you might speak to us now through these holy words that your people have used for generation after generation to worship and to understand how to pray and to whom we are praying. We lift our hearts to you and ask that you would speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I don't know if you noticed the last song that I asked you to do the, uh, to do, to, to do the lyrics for was Stairway to Heaven. And there's a line in the... In the Stairway to Heaven is a fascinating song because, you know, it says you can, there's a lady who's buying a stairway to heaven. And of course, we know as Christians, uh, there's no way that you can buy a, hair, a stairway to heaven. 
It only comes by the free gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And many people have studied that song a lot, but there's this line in that song that's really interesting. It says, there are two paths you can go by. Uh, and one, one, I believe, one path is the one where the piper is leading. Uh, the, the piper is calling you to join him is the line that appears in that song. And, and, and sometimes, and according to, to legend, that, the, that Satan is the one is revealed to be piper. Uh, that's the, you know, the whole deal there. I'm not going to diagnose stairway to heaven in the sermon, by the way. Um, but, but there's this other path that you can go by. So in the story, Robert, uh, this, this song, Robert Plant, the, the, the guy that wrote the song, who was inspired, he woke up in the middle of the night and wrote the song, uh, said there's two paths. And in the same way, in this psalm, we see that there are also two paths. There are two different ways uh, that a person can go. We see from the beginning, it said, the psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked, nor stand in in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Uh, One path involves allowing those who disdain the faith or reject or even mock God a position of authority in your life. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked. The one who allows uh, the wicked or the depraved to influence them. You know, it's one thing, though, to have a conversation with a person as you're, you're kind of walking along the way. That, that kind of lends you, you get a picture of there's a little bit of influence that's happening in your life. If you're just kind of walking along the way in conversation with someone. But if you stop and you begin to have a more deep conversation, there's a, a greater sense of connection, a greater sense of influence if you stop and you said, well, I'm going to listen to what you say. And then even a greater sense of maybe buy-in or allowing that person to have authority in your life if you actually sit down and listen to the things that they're saying. So we see this progression in the psalm. And the psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. And what the psalmist is writing is that if we look at these two ways of living life, then one of the ways is to follow and trust in the righteousness of, of God, and the other way is to is to reject that, even to allow others to influence you. I uh, had a had a conversation with a guy. This is an interesting point he made. He said, "My dad used to always tell me that if you take the the average of your five friends, that's what you become. Your five, ba- your, you see, you have good friends and bad friends, and you become the average of those people. So, of course, my mom used to always say, if you lay down with dogs, you're going to get fleas.'" Um, but this psalmist writes that the, who we spend our time with and who is, we're allowing to influence us matters. That makes a difference in what we do and how we live. And so while we're called to be in the world, we're called here to live and to love and to reach out to those who don't know about Christ. We're not called to be of the world. I mean, again, we look at this a whole lot in the, in the series on Ruth and even in the series on the Ten Commandments. That God's desire that His people would be protected and cared for and not corrupted by the world and yet would still be a positive influence in the world uh, being used by God to bring grace and redemption and life. So one path is allowing the wicked to influence you and to be invested in your life. The other path involves the life of the Blessed One, the one who delights in the law of the Lord. Uh, the law of God being the Ten Commandments and everything that they imply. Uh, not meant to be a burden, a crushing burden, but something that would actually give us freedom. The law would be something that we would delight in. 
And you know, we've uh, spent so time this year even talking about the reality and purpose of the law is that as we are confronted with with who we are and our brokenness the law the ten commandments and what they teach reveal to us that we are in need of a savior Uh, that we we cannot keep the law on our own strength and our own power but that we when we're exposed to the ten commandments we say wow that's nothing i have not been keeping i can't do it and so then we acknowledge our need for a savior and then once we understand our brokenness and our need for a redemption, and our embrace of Jesus Christ, then we begin to say, yes, Lord, now I want to follow you and to walk in your way. It's only once we embrace a Savior and we experience the goodness of Jesus Christ, then the law of God becomes a joy. We, we delight in the law. You know, last Sunday night, we had a chance to go down to see the Redbirds play, and uh, there's a big group of us went down to the baseball game. It was really a lot of fun. And, you know, our family went down and I spent a lot of my time on the back side of that grassy knoll over by the parking uh, back behind the deal because Levi and Silas were rolling down the back of that hill and we had a good time and I saw a little bit of the baseball game too but at the end of the night there were fireworks and um, our children are just starting to grow up and but they're kind of you know younger and so sometimes fourth of july fireworks are late and last year was our first time really going out and staying out late to do fireworks but we had to park a long ways away and sometimes you know the boom loud is kind of too loud so so this is our first real up close and in-person experience of fireworks and um, it was just such a joy to see them uh, delighting in these fireworks. Now, Silas was in front of me with his hands on his ears, and Arden was sitting in front of me. But I had a chance to look over and look at Levi, and he was like this. His eyes were wide open, and he was just looking at those fireworks. Weren't you, buddy? Yeah. It was such a great show because we were right there, and the lights would come up, and I could just see the reflection of the lights in his eyes as he delighted in these fireworks. It was really awesome to see him just, just soak them all up and to really enjoy them in that way. And I think the psalmist is calling us to, as we gaze not into the sky at these temporary flashes of light, but as we gaze into the very Word of God that points us to the eternal glory of God, that we would then delight in the Word of God and in the law of God in the same way that they were delighting in these fireworks. The passage says that blessed is the one who meditates upon the law day and night. Now, what this is interesting because the word meditate actually means to murmur or to mutter, even to, to growl, which is an interesting thing. And so, as I was thinking about what does that really mean, it's not to say like we're grumbling under our breath, this is the Word of God, but that the Word of God is something, the law of God is something that is so on our lips that as we walk along, as we face the day, it's what we talk to ourselves. It's the language that we speak to ourselves as we go along the way. We should be so familiar, so uh, invested, so marinated in the Word of God that it, it comes out of us when we're just simply walking along the way. And the only way for that to happen is if we consider God's Word day and night. It's what we go to. It's what we soak ourselves in. There's a million other influences that are clamoring for your attention. Video games and TV shows, newspapers, Twitter feeds, Facebook accounts, 
books, novels, magazines. And there the Word of God sits, ready for you to engage it, to soak in it, to allow it to penetrate your heart so that it would come up into your mind and through your mouth as you walk along the way, as you journey, when you face the challenges and temptations of life. And so I just will say this to you. It's June 2nd, right? Make this the summer of Psalms. To every day I'm going to read a psalm. You know, you're one day behind. But we're doing Psalm 1 now. Got it covered. Psalm 2 today. Every day take a psalm and you say, well, what happens when we go from you go to July 1st? Well, you guys can add. You figure it out. Just keep going through. But don't do it in such a way that like, oh, i got to get this done. Take a verse. Not marinate in it. Let it just pour over you. Let it soak in your soul. But every day, day and night, allow it to be what drives you and what moves you as you relate, as you're on a trip, as you're on vacation, as you're here in town, as you're working. Let it be that thing that, that speaks to you all summer long. And then we get this beautiful image in the text here. He is like a, a tree, the blessed one. Is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. You think about this when you have an image of a tree. It's a, it's especially a a big like a big oak tree, a big round trunk with roots that go way out. The big uh, branches strong. Even when the winds blow. The tree just moves back and forth a little bit, but it is sturdy and strong. Or if you think about a fruit tree that, that bears fruit in its season, something that provides sustenance, something that is strong and secure. And we see that this tree is planted by streams of water. It's the life-giving water that, that when the roots get down toward it, that's what allows the tree to continue to be sustained. So it doesn't matter what is going on outside, if it's day or night, if it's uh, the rainy season or if it's a dry season or if it's cold or if it's a beating down hot summer. That tree, because it's planted by the living water of the stream, it has sustenance, it has life. It doesn't matter how much of a, uh, uh, a desert that it might be planted in. Because it's by the living water, it has life. And so, and the same is true for us. You know, all the things that go on in your life, all the struggles that you face, all the seasons of, of, of dryness, of doubt, of insecurity, of, of struggle, when you're planted by the stream, when you're getting the water up into, through your roots, up into the fiber of who you are, then fruit can be produced, even when it's dry outside. Because you're planted by the stream. What a powerful image that we see. I remember when we, we were... Uh, this is another Levi story here, buddy. You're on, 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 on uh, getting some pub today. But when he was little, he liked avocados. And Anna Karis likes avocados too. And so we had an avocado. And one time Arden and I, we had this pot uh, and it was, they had dirt in it. And there was no plant in the pot. Um, and so we went out and got the avocado and we just plunked it down inside that pot. This is when we were living in St. Petersburg. And I kind of forgot about it. All of a sudden, this little shoot came up out of the out of the uh, the pot, and and it grow and grow. And we we traveled with it from Florida all the way to Memphis, and it barely made it to the trip. It got all dry. But now it's a tree that stands probably eight or nine feet tall in our living room. And Brandy keeps saying, "When are you going to move that thing back outside?" And there's no avocados. That's right. 
But, you know, two summers ago, um, we, were at, we, went, we went on a trip, and we were gone for a couple of weeks. And uh, so and was had someone to water it and just didn't evidently get watered the way that we thought it might. And I came back, and it was laying on its side, and it was one big, long stick with, like, three sticks sticking out. And, you know, it's just a tree, but it kind of has some meaning because, you know, we planted it ourselves. And I just looked at the, the dead tree, and I thought, oh, that's a... That stinks, you know. This is our little avocado plant that we brought back from St. Petersburg. Um, and so I tilted it up and it was just dry. Um, but I thought, well, I might as well water it and see what happens. And you wouldn't believe that um, all those branches and all the leaves had fallen off, but these little tiny green shoots came out of the deal. And now it's this big scraggly tree in our living room. And, of course, I think they, don't, they engineer them so that you can't... Um, uh, produce avocado. Otherwise, then you would just be taking your avocados and you wouldn't be buying them at the store. You'd be growing your own. But it's just this image of like through through water, this something can can grow and have life. And if it was uh, a real avocado plant or whatever, then maybe we'd have some fruit. But not so the wicked, it says in verse 4. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, we're all familiar with chaff, right? Because in the story on Ruth, we're talking about Ruth went to the threshing floor. They would gather all the grain or all the barley or whatever, and they would put it in a big pile, and they would either stomp on it themselves, or they would have the oxen traveling around in a circle, walking on the grain. So what would happen is the kernel, the valuable kernel, the seed, uh, what they wanted, the fruit essentially, would be separated from the husk. And that was the chaff. And then what they would do is that they would winnow it. They would throw it up high in the air. And as the evening breeze would come through, then the chaff would be blown away because they didn't want the chaff. They wanted the fruit. And here we see in this, this image that the wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Those that have their roots sunk down deep into the ground near the living water bear fruit. They are sustained. They are strong. But those who are disconnected from the vine, disconnected from the life-giving water, they're like the wind. They're like the chaff that the wind blows away. Just like a breeze blowing it away. See, I think what we're seeing here in these verses is that reading the Psalms are a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death for us to engage, to understand, to consider, to meditate upon, and to embrace the Word of God. Because if we don't, if you don't, you'll be like the chaff that's blown away. You'll buy into any idea that comes along. You'll be like the chaff that blows away. You see, there are really actually more than two paths. There's one path, and then there's all the other paths. If you look on, verse, thir- verse 5 says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Think about that. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. No sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Well, I think that's going to disqualify at least one person standing up here on the platform. And maybe a couple of the people in the congregation. No sinners in the congregation. What does that mean? I think what it means is that unless you're perfectly righteous, you won't be standing with God. And I can tell you this, 
based on my own life, I am not perfectly righteous. And there is only one way for me to be made perfectly righteous, and that is through the sacrifice of the eternal Son, Jesus, the one who was righteous. He is the only way. He is the only path where I can go. Every other path is an attempt at self-righteousness. Self-justification. I am the one who has earned the way. I am the one who is doing, through my, my do-gooder activity, trying to earn a relationship with God. But it's only by following the Word of God and trusting in the Eternal Son who is revealed to us through the pages of Scripture that we would be able to even stand before God on that day. There is no other way. That's why Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The only way that we can find our way home is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I heard a story by a pastor uh, named John Ortberg uh, who's out in California. And he was lost one time uh, on a trip with his wife. They were driving out uh, somewhere in California and it was dark. And he had uh, one of those GPS, uh, a Garmin or whatever they call them now, and it was in the car. Um, and he says, um, he tells the story this way. He says, you can get the box. You can have a lady's voice in your car, but that doesn't mean that you trust her, the lady's voice coming out of the, of the thing. If you trust her, what do you do? You do what she says. You go where she tells you to go. If she says turn left, you turn left. If she says turn left, in your, and in your heart you think, oh, but I want to turn right, what do you do? At one point when I was driving in unfamiliar territory, I was quite sure the lady in the guidance system was wrong. She said go to the left, and I didn't go to the left. I went right because I knew she was wrong. Then in a fascinating response, she said, recalculating route. When safe to do so, execute a U-turn. I knew she was still wrong. So I unplugged her. That is the beauty of the little box. You can unplug her. And would you believe it? I got lost as a goose, which my wife enjoyed immensely. So we plugged the lady back in. And you know what she said? I told you so, you fool. You think I'm going to help you now? You rejected me. There's no way. Find your, home, find your way home by yourself. No. Of course she didn't say those things. She said, recalculating route. When safe to do so, execute a U-turn. That is grace. Jesus is the only one with the authoritative wisdom for us that He reveals to us through the Word of God. Jesus knows that we're going to need on many occasions to execute a U-turn. God will say, here is the way home. As soon as you are ready to listen, as soon as you are ready to surrender, as soon as you are ready to come in repentance, He will say, I will bring you home. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a path before each person that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. Let us take the path of the Blessed One this summer. Will you pray with me?